Hey, Monarch Nation, it's Virginia Tech Week, so we have a great two-part episode for you. First, we talk with Andy Bitter, Virginia Tech beat reporter from The Athletic, to learn about the 2022 Hokies. After that discussion, we meet with fellow monarchist Gary Williams for a roundtable discussion on our ODU Monarchs. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Fred Chow, and you're listening to the Monarchist Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Mike. And you're listening to the Monarchist Podcast. This evening, we have Andy Bitter, Virginia Tech football beat writer for The Athletic. He's covered the Hokies since 2011, previously for the Virginia Pilot and Roanoke Times, and has written about college football for 20 years. Andy, welcome to the world's best and only ODU podcast. World's best. That, that's lofty praise there. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, our competition isn't really keeping up their end of the bargain. So, Andy, thank you for joining us. You've been covering the Hokies for more than a decade, and many consider you to be the written voice for the Hokies. This past offseason, Tech brought back a former GA and the antithesis of Justin Fuente and Brent Pry to hopefully bring back the Hokies to competing for the division they often dominated under Beamer. Since he's been hired, the James Franklin influence is pretty blaring. It's clear he's tried to reconnect the program with fans and place a lot of value in keeping the state talent at Tech. Both are things Monarch fans witnessed with the hiring of Ricky Ronnie, and it helped him remake this program quickly. If you had to pick out the most impactful change that Coach Pry has brought to the program, what would it be? You know, I think the big thing is trying to reconnect to a lot of relationships that have maybe been were maybe burned in the past. I know a lot of in-state stuff in terms of recruiting with high school coaches and and stuff like that. I think that was just not a forte of the previous staff. They maybe didn't get out there as much and, you know, shake hands and see all the people in the high schools as they did in the past. And that was sort of a specialty of Frank Beamers. They knew the state in and out. They were well-respected when they went in there. And I don't think that was the case with Fuente. You know, the, part of the pandemic was a tough time with that, but he could have done a better job with it. Nonetheless, it just kind of wasn't his personality. Get out there, shaking hands, do the, the, uh, you know, all the, the kissing baby, shaking hands type stuff. You almost have to be like a politician as a head coach. And he didn't really feel like that. I, I, I don't know if he didn't feel like that was part of the job or if he just didn't enjoy it. He's just like, I'm not going to do it that much. It was just like, grit your teeth and do it. It's like, you have to do it as a head coach that comes with the territory being the head coach. So I think, you know, Pry has done that. He's embraced that. You know, I think he saw what James Franklin did all those years at Penn state. And, and before that he was at Vanderbilt with him. I mean, he was with him for a long time. You can't help, but have some of, you know, what he brings to the whole process rub off on you in that and seeing how you, he, he forges relationships. That's, that's the biggest thing. I did a recruiting piece where I talked to a bunch of high school coaches. They're like Penn state, man. They're just like the head coach is calling these recruits and there's a relationship and, you know, family up there. I know every school says family. That's the, you know, drink. If you've heard that one before, but you know, it feels like they really fostered that at Penn state. I think that's what prize doing, trying to do at Virginia tech. We'll see if he accomplishes it, but I, I think he's taken the right steps in the early going so far. If you said all of that and just put Ricky's name where Prize was, fans would agree with you. So it's clear it's a Penn State model that they're all building at ODU and Virginia Tech. Yeah, but, I think um, so. I think so. And I just I feel like that's a model that you should have to follow in college football, period. 
mean, yeah. that's sort of what the name of the game is in college sports. And yeah, it's changing a little bit now with NIL. And, you know, I think a lot of these recruiting battles will come to, well, how much can you pay me on top of doing all this stuff for these relationships and family feeling family feeling only goes so far. If some other school is going to give you $200,000 to go there, it's like, Oh, I like my family too, but I also like getting paid to do this stuff. So we'll see if, if that, you know, model or that approach holds up in the shifting landscape of college football. But I think that's sort of essential. I think you have to do that in college sports. So speaking of Coach Fry and 757, what's the staff's feeling or what is your impression of their feeling on this series and it being a long series? It seems a little strange that they would schedule it out this far ahead. Like I, I've always come down hard on ADs and they're like, oh, we got to schedule our, our seasons out through 2035. It's like, what? What you like you're going to do my daughter is six years old. You have to schedule out to when she's going into college. And which you, one? Let's pick yeah. right now. <laughs> I'm not going to go that far. I, I just, we'll, we'll see what it costs in you know 15 years or however long it's going to be. A little bit less than that. So I better save uh, a little bit quicker. But it's like, why do you have to schedule so far in advance? Why do you have to schedule so far out? Like, look at your needs each year and come up with interesting matchups. And I mean, they did this mistake with ECU where they scheduled so many ECU games and then they just kind of got tired of each other. And there was resentment and there was the whole cancellation thing with the hurricane and then just got out of control. It's like, you don't need to schedule 10 matchups out into the future. So I, it makes me wonder a little bit why they bother uh, doing it with this series. If, you know, From Virginia Tech, I can see why they do it. It's going down into a you know, talent rich area of the state. It's not bad to be visible down there. I know people will say that that's an overblown facet in this whole thing, but I don't think it's the worst thing to go into the 757 and appear every now and then. I mean, that's five hours from Blacksburg. That's a long ways. So I think down being down there is helpful. You know, it's relatively cheap for Virginia Tech in terms of you know, trading off home games like that. They don't have to pay a big guarantee for some team to come in for a one-off game in Lane Stadium. So I, I see some positives to it. I just, I don't know if it needs to take place as frequently as it's going to. I will say thank you to Tech for that ECU situation because ODU reaped the benefits of that by signing a long-term deal with ECU as well. And I think both series are very important for ODU. They, they're both ones that are going to get fans in the stadium and excited both easy road trips. Yeah, I think ODU and ECU is, is a much better series just because proximity, for one thing. I mean, they're right there. They're both competing for the same recruits down there in the 757, it feels like. I feel like that one is, is maybe a, a lot easier to get to. From somebody who's made many drives across the state of Virginia and North Carolina to get to you know Norfolk and to get to Greenville, it's not convenient. <laughs> there's, no, there's no good east-west road in this state that makes that drive very easy, but I could see how ODU and ECU would be a lot easier to get to one another. Yeah. We joked that we're, we're kind of the cul-de-sac of Virginia. It's, it's not really easy to get here from anywhere in the state. No, it's, it's an odd. I mean, I've lived in Virginia for, you know, 17 of the last 20 years now. And I still, this, the geography of it still boggles my mind. Like I've lived in Danville, Lynchburg, and and now Christiansburg, the New River Valley. And I just, it's not easy to get to anything. We go to Richmond a lot and it's like, man, it's four hours up the road and 81's a disaster. It's just, they need to make transportation a little bit easier in the state, I think. And that, that's before you even deal with all the tunnels and the traffic and the 757, which, you know, if you hit those at the wrong time of day, good luck. Yeah, you're not going to get any argument out of us with regards to... <laughs> travel and bridges trains 
planes and automobiles coming around here. So we were just talking a little bit about some potential storylines. There are a lot of storylines in the 2022 version of this particular game. One of the major ones that sticks out is Ricky versus Brent. All right, they are both both coordinators under James Franklin. Also, we've got the importance of the 757 we were just talking about with recruiting. I, I think, like you said, some people are going to may, may disagree over that, but it's a recruiting hotbed. And, and over the years, I know Frank Beamer made a, a living off of getting great talent out of 757. Obviously, nobody wants to lose this game, but do you get the impression from Coach Pry that this game is bigger than any others this year? It's tough to say because you'll talk to him and it's like, oh, every game is important. You know, it's the the typical coach speak thing. But, you know, starting off at ODU, a place that was the most infamous loss of the Justin Fuente era, really sort of the beginning of the end. That was like, oh, there are cracks in this whole thing. That's where it started. That would not be a great way to start your tenure at Virginia Tech. And then obviously going up against Ricky Ronnie, who's great familiar with, great familiarity with from their time at Penn State. You think of how many times they've gone up against each other in practice. This is your first impression as the Virginia Tech head coach. I just don't think you can go down there and lose in that stadium again because it just would bring back so many bad memories from the last time they were down there. So, you know, he might say that it's just like every other game, but you know, from an outsider's perspective, looking at it, I would say, hey, don't lose that one, especially. That would be a tough one to start off with. Yeah, I can imagine that Tech fans would be up in arms if that were to happen. It would be an interesting weekend to write, be writing about the the football game. Yeah, well, I remember the last time down there, it was just like, is this really going to happen? It's just like, like you, you look through a couple quarters and then Josh Jackson gets hurt for the Hokies and you're like, okay, they got the backup quarterback in there and they're not really stopping anybody. And, you know, a couple of weeks earlier, they didn't allow Florida state to do anything in a game. And then it turns out Florida state was an absolute disaster offensively. So that didn't really tell you anything, but yeah, that was a weird game that night watching it. You're like, Oh, in the middle of the third quarter, you're like this, this is probably going to happen at this point. And it felt like Virginia Tech was powerless to do anything about it. So, yeah, Hokies fans have a little bit poor memories of, of going to SB Ballard Stadium. And I'm looking forward to the, the new renovation there, but I think a lot of Hokies fans don't just like the general area of, of being in that stadium. So, Andy, you touched on recruiting and scheduling these games out for a long period of time. I think a part of why Virginia Tech does it is to keep other ACC schools off of our schedule. But one of the benefits of playing us in Norfolk is being able to recruit players and host them on the sidelines. However, this year, the game being played on a Friday night, they won't really get that benefit as much as they would normally because kids are going to be playing games. What is your impression on the coaching staff's feelings on playing this game on a Friday night? You know, I hadn't even really thought about that. I know coaches, coaches in general don't like the Friday night because of that. Although I feel like official visits at least in the fall are becoming less and less over the years it seems like more guys are doing that in the summer and in the spring than what they were before uh, you know it's, it's probably tough you'd like to have some people out there i mean if you're virginia tech you're the visiting team so it's not like you're having people on your, your sideline as visitors at this game but you know they see you there at the same time so i don't know that's that's a tough one i, I think the trade-off is that this is what the tv demands and the tv is paying all the money so 
you know, you took the check, you kind of have to play whatever they tell you to play. So, you know, if, if it comes down to taking a little bit less money in their salary versus playing on a Friday night, not necessarily liking it, I think the coaches probably be like, I'll take the money. Thank you very much. Right on. So ODU fans know two staff members of Virginia Tech very well from their time in Norfolk. Offensive recruiting coordinator, wide receivers coach Fontel Mines, and senior director of strength and conditioning Dwight Galt. What impact have those two had on Virginia Tech so far since they joined the squad? Well, I've heard good things about the strength and conditioning program. And I think you always hear that with a new head coach where it's just sort of a refreshing thing to hear it from somebody new. And I can't tell you how many places I've been where there's been coaching changes and all of a sudden everybody's like, oh man, this new strength staff is working us like they've never worked us before. It's like, okay, I've heard that before. That, That has been the case with a lot of coaching changes, but I think he comes with great credentials in his past, obviously learned from a very decorated strength coach, his dad up at Penn State, who is pretty well regarded in the strength and conditioning community. I've heard good things of of what he's doing here. ODU players had good things to say about him. So I I would expect it to be pretty good on that end. Fontel Mines is an interesting one. I actually covered him. I used to cover UVA when I, I was at the Lynchburg News in advance. I covered him when he was at UVA and he's just an interesting guy. He's just like Virginia to the core. I mean, he's from Richmond. He's coached at basically every school in the state. Like I think if he goes to Liberty, you'll get a set of steak knives for hitting every school in the state basically. But I mean, he's just, he is a matter of fact kind of coach. He tells it like it is. And you know, whether it's on the field or talking to us, he doesn't really sugarcoat things too much. And as a reporter, I appreciate that sort of that, you know, blunt honesty that he has about his players and where they need to improve and, you know, how things are going. I mean, it's not always cheery and he says it's not always cheery. And I like that fact. So I, I sort of like his brute honesty on a lot of subjects. He's, he's one that I've enjoyed talking to so far. I'll just say this. The hiring of Dwight Gold at ODU showed that things were changing for our program. It, the difference in the size of the linemen from his first year was pretty alarming. So I kind of credit him for changing the trajectory of ODU football, even before Ricky got there. Um, He's going to do great things. And that one hurt, especially because I'd heard so many awesome things from the offensive and defensive line about him. But uh, Bill Connolly, he does a rank of returning production. And in this era of NIL and transfer portal, I think that ranking is more valuable than ever before. Virginia Tech's numbers show Coach Pry liked a lot of what he saw about the defense, but the offense brings a lot of question marks with the new QB and a lot of turnover. What can we expect from this offense? Your guess is as good as mine on this. I, I haven't gotten a really good feel of what this offense will be like or really schematically what they want to look. They look like they've kept a lot of that under wraps and they've said they want to come out and run the ball. I question whether they have the offensive line to do that uh, on a consistent basis. They brought in a, a transfer quarterback and Grant Wells from Marshall, who, you know, I'm not a quarterback expert, but he looks serviceable out there. He looks decent in, in terms of throwing the ball. I'm not saying he's going to be all ACC and certainly in a, a you know a year like this where the, the conference is just loaded with top-notch quarterbacks, but I think he can be an improvement on what they had last year with Braxton Burmeister, who, you know, sort of struggled pushing the ball downfield a lot. And, you know, the receiving core is not deep, but they have some guys that are interesting. And, you know, Caleb Smith, Daywan Loft, and Jaden Blue is a, a Temple transfer that had, 
you know, a thousand yard season a couple of years ago. I think there's some pieces there. I just question how deep this group is. And you know, I, I worry particularly about the offensive line. You get to that second team on the offensive line, you're dipping into true freshmen in a lot of spots, potentially, you know, they go into week one, Malachi Thomas, their top running back is hurt right now. It looks like an ankle or something like that. Jalen Holson's been a little nicked up there and they just don't have a lot of guys that if they start losing the piece here or there, you get down to some young guys or some really inexperienced guys where I think that could be a struggle, but if they can stay healthy, I see a path to a, a decent offense that, you know, perhaps has to throw the ball a little bit more than they'd like to, just because I, I wonder if they'll be able to run the ball. But I think this has a chance to be an improvement on offense from what they had last year. That's not, that's not saying much. It's not like they were some great offensive machine last year. But considering the pieces they lost, I think that would still be a step forward if they were able to make an improvement there. So given Owen's background, Penn State tight end coach, I imagine they're, the system is going to look a lot like ODU's system where the tight end plays a valuable role in the offense. What are we looking at at tight end for Virginia Tech? Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with you there. And that's actually one of the deeper positions on the team. They got Drake Dulius, Nick Gallo coming back, or a couple of veterans that are sort of, you know, what you imagine when you think of the tight end position. They've got Connor Blumrick, who's playing there. It was a quarterback last year that's sort of playing this slash type role where it's H back tight end receiver running back, maybe what, maybe wildcat quarterback, maybe they could snap it to him directly. He's somebody, I think this offensive staff is excited about right now. We'll see if the, you know, if that turns into a bunch of touches this year, but they like what they see there so far. And then, you know, a true freshman that just got here, it was Daquan Wright. It was a pretty well-regarded recruit last year. I think he stepped in and brought maybe a little dynamic ability at that position and maybe pushing the ball downfield as a receiver a bit more. He was like a thousand yard receiver in high school, a bit more of a receiver than like a, you know, hand in the ground type tight end. So there's a diversity of talent there and uh, a couple guys that I think they can do some things with. And I, th I think that'll be valuable because they're not very deep at the receiver position. They might have to split what tight ends out wide or can do some different things with Connor Blumrick uh, in different roles. But I, I think that's going to be, you know, basis of this offense because like you mentioned Tyler Bowen is the tight ends coach too and he's done this before and he's used these kind of pieces before I think it's going to be a big part of the offense so as mentioned the defense has got quite a bit of talent coming back four of the leading tacklers in the backfield are back in the fold including Dax Hollifield what's the biggest chance for fans from that are fans are going to see from Fuente to Pry on defense you know I think Pry just has a defensive plan about things on that side of the ball. I mean, that's his bread and butter. That's what he's been his entire career. He's going to be hands-on. He's going to be calling plays on that side of the ball. He's going to be heavily involved in game planning, obviously. This is what he did at Penn State. And it's just a matter of, you know, fitting some round pegs and square holes, square pegs and round holes, whatever the saying is. I mean, they don't exactly have all the, the, the types of athletes they like at some of these positions, but they're working to get you know the existing guys that they have here to fit certain spots and find out who's stronger in you know coverage or who who's a liability in coverage stuff like that. So I think that'll take a while to sort itself out, but I think just from the the organizational standpoint and schematic standpoint, it might be a bit more cohesive than what it was before, where 
you know, the end of the Bud Foster era and, and moving into Justin Hamilton with the Hokies, I think there was just sort of searching for an identity and search, you know, trying to get back to what they used to be. And it just hasn't been the same. They haven't been, you know, with the exception of 2019 at times where they look like a Bud Foster defensive old for a couple games, they just haven't had the stats on that side of the ball. It's been very, you know, disconcerting if you're a Hokies fan to look at this team and go, this isn't what Virginia tech is. That's just like sort of tears at the fiber of this team when they're giving up 400, 500 yards of offense or 30, 40 points. That that's just not what Virginia tech is. So I think pride coming in, it'll be a return a bit to the past, even if schematically it's a little bit different than how it's been. So Zach Koontz made your coworkers, Bruce Feldman's college football freak list for 2022. Zach, he's 6'8", he has a 4.540 and a 40-inch vertical. Who on the Tech defense gets the privilege of trying to guard him? Well, let's see. Tight end, that would probably be Keontae Jenkins, the uh, the Sam linebacker, would get the most duties with that. Maybe a, a cornerback, maybe or, or a, a safety comes in, Shamari Connor could do a little bit that I'll say this. If he's six, eight, they're giving up some inches on him. They don't have a, if Kelly Lawson was healthy, he's like six, six as a Sam linebacker, maybe he could match the height a little bit better than some of these guys, but man, it's going to be like a guard trying to box out a forward in this situation. They're going to have to figure out some other ways to do it than just relying on straight height going with this guy down the field. So that will be one of the more interesting matchups in this game. Yeah. Zach is just different. You're going to have to double team. You're going to have to make it, Hard for him to get off the line and get into his route. Otherwise, you're going to be toast. He, he's just different. I, I'm sh- shocked he's here, and I'm happy he is. But it also shows how good Penn State's tight ends are, that he couldn't get playing time there. So this year, Hokie's special team unit replaces their lead punt returner, their kicker, and their long snap. That's quite a bit of turnover from a pretty good unit last year. Do they have the pieces? And if so, who are we looking at? You know, I I think they have the potential there. They have a couple long snapping candidates. I don't really know. You know, I'm not going to sit here and break down the long snapping competition. because I don't know if I can add too much (laughs) nuance to that. Do they snap the ball? I mean, there it is. It's a snap, you know, kicking competition. Uh, it sounds like Will Ross is maybe ahead of a freshman John Love right now. They've had very, uh, a good, uh, successful history, sort of lineage of kickers there going from Joey slide to Brian Johnson to John Parker Romo last year, a couple of these guys going up to the NFL and continuing to kick there. So they've had a lot of success there. I think they'll be okay there. Once they get some experience, Peter Moorback is a punter. He was a all ACC guy last year. And then I look at the return game and, you know, they lose Tavion Robinson, who was really good, but DJ Harvey is probably the guy on punt returns that we haven't seen him return a whole lot, but I, you watch him in the spring game, and man, he just caught the ball so easily. Like it was just second nature when he was catching it. It was not, it was not like a big deal. You get some of those guys back there and you're like, oh man, is he going to catch this thing? Like it's, it's a little shaky getting into the, you know, the stomach by the time you bring the ball in, but he caught it with ease and we'll see if he can turn that, you know, into actual returns as well. It's a different thing when you have a fear of getting hit and, and have to go down the field, but I think they have the potential there. So it, it you know, it, they, they turn over a lot on special teams, but I I think it, it might not be that much of a drop-off. Maybe could uh, maintain what they had last year as well. So Beamer ball, we know all about it. it. It got famous for using defensive starters 
on the coverage units. Is that something Pry is going to be doing? To a degree. I, I think, you know, every coach now has to sort of guard against putting their star players in bad spots or injury prone spots. And there's, there's nothing more injury prone than special teams being a gunner or, or something like that. I mean, you know, historically you can look at the trends. That's where a lot of injuries happen because you're just flying down the field and, you know, high speed collisions. So I think they will be smart with that, especially since, you know, the thing about this team is they, they feel okay about their first team. It's the depth that is the biggest concern. So I think if that is the, the big deal, you don't want to put your top guys out there and risk them getting hurt in a situation that's not this, just them playing on the regular team. So I think there'll be a little bit of, of top guys playing there, but I don't think you're going to see like the starting 11 out there on the kickoff coverage team or something like that. I, th- I think they're going to try to be smart about that. So I think with the hiring of Coach Pry, we're taking a, you know, a step back to more tradition, looking at things from the past, the glory kind of glory years of Virginia Tech. Are we going to see the lunch pail on the sidelines in 2022? You know, I don't think so. It was sort of a Bud Foster thing. When Justin Hamilton took over, they phased it out, knowing that it was a Bud Foster thing. It's like, we kind of want to do our own thing at this point. And I know Brent Pry reveres Bud Foster. I mean, Foster still has an office in the Virginia Tech football building. He's, He's, you know, Pry will go bend his ear a little bit about things every now and then, I'm sure. But, you know, he wants this to be his own thing as well. And, you know, the lunch bell was so identifiable with, with Bud and how he did things on defense that I would imagine Pry would like to sort of do his own thing on this. I haven't heard him say for sure one way or another if, if the lunch pail will be a thing, but I think that's it's probably in the past now. It's a nice, you know, they have a flag up in the stadium, you know, with how they retired numbers. They retired the lunch pail. Technically, they put it up there in the stadium because that's so identifiable with Bud Foster. And I think Virginia Tech and Pry would probably like to keep it that way. So the last time y'all made the trip to Norfolk, it was pretty rough for Tech fans. I'm hopeful that memory is still fresh in a lot of Tech fans' minds, but how are the Tech fans anticipating this game? Are are they nervous or are they chomping at the bit? Both. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I don't think they can feel anything but a little nervous just because of the history. I mean, if it's the, the only time you've been to a place like that and you lose pretty you know, shocking fashion like that and such a lasting loss. I mean, it was the injury of the quarterback. Trayvon Hill gets kicked off the team the next day. I mean, just it, everything that could have gone wrong on that night did go wrong. <laughs> it was just like such a defining moment of the Fuente era that, oh, man, that's when it turned. That's when, you know, in hindsight, that's when it completely turned from this guy is, is got everything going on to what the heck is he doing in this locker room? So, I, I think there's got to be a little bit of nervous feelings among the Hokies fans. And on top of that, it's a brand new coach. You don't know how he's going to operate. You've never seen Brett Pry as a head coach on the sideline. You've never seen Grant Wells throwing passes for the Hokies. You, you haven't seen this scheme. So th- there's just so many unknowns that I would have to imagine that there's a little bit of trepidation on Virginia Tech's part. At the same time, I think they're eager to get this thing started and probably want to exact a little bit of revenge on ODU for what happened. I mean, you know, beating them in Blacksburg is one thing, but going back to the scene of the crime, so to speak, and playing well and exercising those demons a little bit, 
would probably be satisfying to this fan base. So probably a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B. All right. So early takes Vegas sees this game in tech's favor from anywhere from about seven and a half to 10 points. What's your take on how you think this thing's going to go down? You know, I think Virginia tech wins. You know, I don't, yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm an expert on ODU and everything that it's done. I just, I like where tech is at right now in terms of just sort of optimism and general feeling around the program. And I think they'll show up on the field a little bit. And, and my biggest concern with this team right now is depth. And as you go into week one, when there's not that many injuries, I think that shows up less of a problem in a game like this. So I don't think they're going to run away with this one by any means. I'll probably put it somewhere where Vegas does a touchdown, something like that. But I, I do think the Hokies come out of this one with a win. Well, Andy, one of the things you mentioned was the O-line being pretty thin. And that plays in ODU's favor quite a bit with our biggest strength on defense being the defensive line. So I hope Grant is ready to run because they'll be coming for him. Yeah, that'll be something interesting to watch. I mean, people look at Wells and they see the, the passing numbers. He actually moves pretty well. He's not like, yeah, he's not going to be Bryce Perkins out there or something like that and rushing for 100 yards every game, but he's got a good pocket sense. He can kind of drift away from, from trouble when it's designed runs. He seems to make good decisions on whether he's keeping him or, or handing it off. And, you know, it's not something that Marshall did a whole lot with him there, but I think the Hokies have been pleasantly surprised by how well he moves. But, you know, like I said about the offensive line, I, I look at the first team offensive line and for Virginia Tech and I go, I can see it. I can see it with this group, but man, if there's just one injury and all of a sudden you're shifting things around and a true freshman jumps up to the, the starting or starting lineup or somebody who's never played really, that's basically everybody on that second team just doesn't have a lot of game reps. That's when I see it start becoming problematic. And you know, if you have a leaky offensive line that affects everything. So that'll be something to watch in this opener, especially if that's a, a strength for ODU is, is how well they can protect Wells and if they can open up holes to run the ball. It sounds like it's going to be a defensive matchup, really. And the, what it's going to come down to is who makes fewer mistakes. Uh, luckily, we have a quarterback that's pretty good at protecting the ball. And that's Wells' biggest weakness, or it was at Marshall. Um, he made a lot of bad decisions at times, threw a lot of picks. So if we can force him into mistakes, I think we have a shot here. But who knows with being surrounded by tech athletes, how, how much that changes. Well, if I recall, Wells last year played ODU and had two picks in that game. Then also mm -hmm. had like a touchdown in the last two minutes or something like that to force overtime. So you but, saw sort of, you saw sort but, of the good and the bad of Wells at the same time. Yeah, that was also before we did our quarterback change. So ah, okay. Our offense isn't. It wasn't what it was later in the season. Yeah, he took it from us. He he won that game for him. Yeah, I think that's sort of the book on Wells at Marshall is. He can be a guy, but he can also be the guy that gives it away to the other team too. And that's going to be the biggest thing this year with him is can you cut? And he had 13 picks last year, tied for the conference USA lead, uh, dubious distinction, but can he cut that down? And, you know, can he cut that down against ACC competition this year? Because, you know, that's a big deal. Can't be giving it away like that, especially against, you know, a higher level of competition than what he was playing at before. just want to take a real quick step back, go back to in-state recruiting. So obviously, Mike, just we talked about what happened, the postmortem of the last time this game was played in Norfolk. Obviously, every game has been played in Blacksburg. Virginia Tech has won 
pretty convincingly. If ODU wins this game in Norfolk and goes 2-0 and in Norfolk, do you think this thing makes a, a significant impact on in-state recruiting between these two schools? You know, I always am hesitant to say one result can really shift things too much. I mean, maybe this combined with the 2018 result, you, you can point to it as an ODU coach and be like, hey, every time they come down here, we beat them. So how about that? How's, you know, there's your flagship program in the state out there in Blacksburg. They, they struggle every time they come down here. Maybe that's something, but I, I still think, you know, recruiting comes down to all sorts of factors and, you know, facilities and now NIL and opportunities. And I feel like a lot of guys will look at the two schools and go, you know, can I play in the power five or not? And, you know, if, if you get the power five off and you have the opportunity and there's a, a plane, a path to playing time for you, I think a lot of guys will just take that, especially if there's some NIL money behind it now. So, you know, I, it's like, you know, people always ask like, oh, if Virginia Tech beats North Carolina, are they going to or recruits? It's like, well, that hasn't been the case lately because they continue to beat North Carolina and still lose a bunch of recruits to the Tar Heels anyway. So I try not to get caught up on individual results when it comes to recruiting, because I think recruits and players don't necessarily think that way. Yeah, it's more for the, the guys at the end of the, when you're trying to fill out the end of the class that we're going to be competing for, really, to be honest. It's not the top line guys that we're really recruiting against you guys for. Yeah. And, and when it comes to those guys, I think it comes down to what they're looking for. Yeah. Like, Hey, I, I can go into ODU and, and start possibly earlier in my career, or I could go to a place like tech and probably have to battle a little bit longer on the depth chart. You know, it's just, it just depends on what their yeah. preference is and, and how they want to go about it. Agreed. Well, Andy, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. We really appreciate it. And we can't wait until next Friday. Yeah, I'm tired of writing about preseason stuff. I want to actually get to some games. So let's get this thing fired up. I'm excited for it. Absolutely. Andy, where can people find your stuff? Uh, go to theathletic.com. Uh, you'll, you'll get all of our stuff there. You know, If you don't want to sift through the site, follow me on Twitter, Andy Bitter VT. I tweet all my stuff out and links to all my work there. Awesome. awesome. Thanks, Andy. All right. Thanks Appreciate for having it. me. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. Hi, I'm Coach Ricky Ronnie, and you're listening to The Monarchist. So we've covered Virginia Tech pretty extensively through our discussion with Andy Bitter. Now let's shift our focus to the home team, the boys in blue, the Monarchs. Tonight we are joined by fellow Monarchist Gary Williams. You'll find him on Twitter at 3G Williams. Welcome to the show, Gary. Hey, thanks, Mike and Aaron, for having me. Appreciate you having me on and love the podcast so far. Some some great stuff from those interviews. I think you make a lot of other podcasts in the Sun Belt a little jealous by having you know the commissioner on and all of our coaches. So awesome work. Well, thank you. So we're gonna do this a little differently than our typical interviews and just have a brief roundtable discussion to get everyone's thoughts on this big game and the 2022 season. So let's start with the strengths of the 2022 Monarchs. Yeah, I, I think the big strength that ODU is going to rely on this year is that offensive line. Returning four out of five starters is, is going to be huge for them. Uh, I know we've, we've seen some depth charts come out. I think there's still some question on who's actually going to kind of fill the void there for Isaac Weaver. My money would be on Santana Saunders to join the, the main starting five of the offensive line, but Ohio transfer Gary Hoover is going to get a lot of playing time. 
And don't be surprised to see you know, Xavier Black and Skylar Grant get in there as well. I mean, so many, so much experience on that offensive line coming back. They're big. They, they really look like a power five offensive line. I think the key for them is filling kind of that leadership void that Isaac Weaver had. I think Salvadori is, is going to be the, the true leader who steps up there and probably makes a lot of the protection calls on that offensive line. But everything stems from that on the offensive side of the ball. If they can leverage that experience and leadership and really just how nasty and dominant they got last year, even against some really good defensive lines, that'll open up the run game, the passing game, everything. And I think that's probably the biggest strength that we can rely on to make everything else work this year. Yeah, I agree 100% with you, Gary. If we're talking on the offensive side of the ball, everything stems from the line. The running game, the passing game, what Hayden's able to accomplish, it's all going to depend upon how that team comes together. Obviously, the defense took a big step forward. We'll probably talk about that a little bit later, but I expect them as a unit, as a whole, to be a significant strength of the Monarchs for this year. And I, I think another awesome thing, if you look in the future of ODU, is you know Hunt is a senior and the transfer Hoover is a senior. Everybody else has eligibility. So if you're able to rotate eight, nine guys on that offensive line this year, you're just gaining a ton of experience that's going to help you the end of this season in case we have injuries into you know, future seasons and really develop a true core there. I mean, you know, we talked about, I think, eight or nine different guys, but there's also about a dozen other you know, freshmen, redshirt freshmen that are just getting bigger, getting stronger, learning the game. I'll say this. It seems like there's a a continuity thing going on with we had Clark who was great at center and he handed the ball off to Isaac Weaver and now Weaver's handing it off to Big Sal and I, I think Sal's really going to be that great anchor point for this offensive line and I'm excited what they can do. So if we're talking about strengths we also have to mention the skill position guys because we got a few that are pretty talented. We have to talk about Zach Coots. He's just a freak. He's a he's uncoverable. If I, I don't see anyone that we're playing this year that can cover him one on one, they're going to have to double team him every game, which opens up stuff for the rest of the team. So then Ollie Jennings, if you're not covering him double deep, you're going to get burned. And then we got Blake Watson out of the backfield who can make plays catching or running. Yeah, Koontz just presents a matchup nightmare for any defense. You can't put a linebacker on him, can't put a safety on him, can't put a corner on him. You really have to bracket. And with this RPO style of offense we have with option routes, you can almost force who's covering. You know, you break outside and you force the safety to chase, you break inside, he's going to outrun any linebacker. And then, you know, talked about Ali Jennings and that opening up things for him. Isaiah Page out of the slot lined up on the same side of the field as Zach Koontz. I mean, that's got to be just just nightmares for defensive coordinators trying to figure out which way they're going to break, who's going to cover what. Yeah, there's there's a lot of possibilities here. And I think that opposing coaches are going to have a difficult time. They're going to have to make choices and they're going to have to live with those choices. At, there's there's no choice but to double team Zach. And when they do that, other things are going to open up. And we already saw last year. There was a big transition. There were kind of a tale of two seasons. And we saw in that second half of the season with Jennings, with Koontz, and with Blake Watson and how effective those guys could be 
once once things got going. I think that we're going to start off from the beginning of the season, just like we were ending last season there. And Tech is going to have to figure stuff out real quick. I think the first drive is going to tell us a lot. So we're talking about strengths. We got we got to pivot a little bit to the defense here and talk about the strengths there. Obviously, to me, it's Arterian Johnson. I'm not sure there's a better safety in the league. What do you think, Gary? Yeah, I mean, he's he's likely going to be first or second team all-conference being back there. Brings a lot of leadership, a lot of experience. Just being in that role in the 4-2-5 defense, getting to control a lot of the things that happen in front of him. But I, I've got to look at the, the defensive line. I think going into last year, that was probably the biggest question mark because they were so young. And within five minutes of gameplay at Wake Forest, we were like, wow, these, these younger guys are, are kind of nasty. They're just leveling P5 offensive linemen, and they just got better as the season went on. I mean, that's, that's probably the core of, of the strength on the defensive side this year is those four up front. And then also the ability to really rotate eight guys in, in those defensive line spots. That's a huge advantage, especially looking third, fourth quarter, when they've been pushing all game long to be able to get fresh legs keep pushing that offensive line. So depth and talent there is a huge strength, kind of while our, our secondary gets up to speed with, with some new pieces, uh, you know, definitely led by, by the safety position. We all know when that, that D-line makes things difficult for the opposing offense, the amazingly all of a sudden your corners, your safeties get a lot better real quick. The quarterbacks are forced to make decisions that they don't want to make or make them quicker than they want to make them. And, you know, Bad things happen for offenses when quarterback is rushed. I think kind of an X factor on the defense is Stevie Williams. Like he's going to rotate in again at linebacker, but I don't know if you've seen him in person from either spring ball or, or last season. He is huge. So you can look at him and be like, oh, yeah, he used to be a quarterback. No, he is a monster. He is fast. He hits hard and he understands how offenses operate. So I think him getting some of that rotation in at either the linebacker spot or kind of that third safety linebacker corner hybrid position. I, I think he could come and come in on some second and third down plays and really do a lot of damage. I think Phil Steele was excited to see what, what he was going to do this year too. Obviously he sees the game from a different perspective than a lot of players, just from his background and having played the quarterback position. And I agree with you hundred percent that Gary it should be interesting to see how things line up for Stevie this year. Oh. Dr. Death. To throw in a comment on Stevie, he enters the rare air of being the ultimate monarch with David Washington and being willing to do anything to get on the field and help this team win. Going from quarterback to receiver, back to quarterback, to now uh, going to the defense. I mean, what more could you ask from a player and they do it without any complaints? He's, he's going to go down as one of my favorite monarchs ever. And I, I hope he succeeds. I, and I, Considering how good of an athlete he is, I, I expect him to. So last area of strengths, we got to talk about the special teams units. With Lemarion James returning kicks, that's a strength. If you can get Paige back there, I'm not sure if they're willing to do that with his injury history, but those two returning kicks is, is a nightmare for special teams coaches. Yeah, uh, having two weapons like that. I, I don't know if Paige will spend a lot of time back there, maybe in some of the punt return game where he can be out there on the field. But Lamarian James, I mean, we saw it in the bowl game, you know, opening kick, going down the field, scoring a touchdown. And that ended up being pretty important in that game because the, the offense was not moving the ball like we thought it would. Just having that X factor and making teams plan against that 
is almost half the battle. They're going to have to spend a certain percentage of their time that week talking about don't kick to this guy, kick the other side of the field. Where is he at? What are we going to do? And you know, eventually that's going to lead to a kicker just kicking it right out of bounds. At about the 20, we get great field position. And you know, going up against Virginia Tech in the first game, and they're going to have a huge emphasis on defense and special teams. And if we can win a special team battle here and there and make an explosive play, it's going to set us up for success the rest of the game. Yeah, I'd be shocked if teams kick it to Lamarion purposefully. If they can kick it out of the end zone, they're going to do it every time. But for kickers who don't have the leg to be able to do that, I think we're going to see exactly what you said of trying to get really cute with positioning, positioning those kickoffs and ending up kicking some balls out of bounds and giving us a short field to start. Uh, we saw last year a couple times exactly how explosive he can be, and there's nothing that tells me that he wouldn't be even more explosive this year with a year under his belt and being able to see how the field opens up for him. I think if we're talking about special teams here, we got to talk about last year and how good they were at blocking kicks. I think they led the country in block kicks last year. I'm not sure if that's right, but I'm pretty sure they did. If we can get back to that, that's going to be another X factor for us moving forward. Yeah, really being able to pressure those punters and those kickers, not make it seem like it's going to be an automatic and easy operation. I mean, anything you can do to put pressure on special team guys that aren't on the field a lot is a win, including kickers. Like you get that punter thinking about someone coming off the edge or busting through the middle, and it's going to affect their process. And that's only going to lead to better field position for us. And then, you know, explosive plays with blocks and tips and, and just really setting ourselves up well. Yeah, I think what I need to look at in special teams is, you know, Nick Rice graduated and Nick was very steady for us last year. When Nick ran out into the field, I think the coaching staff had an extremely high level of confidence that Nick was going to be able to perform under any situation. And I think those of us in the crowd felt the same way. So this year is going to be, you know, Nick's gone and that's going to be an adjustment that the team is going to have to find some level of confidence in. I'll tell you, Ethan Sanchez has a monster leg. I don't know how accurate it is. We'll find out. But I mean, in some of the camps he was at, he was bombing 60, 65 yarders like it was nothing. So if they can hone that in and have that translate to a game, that's a huge weapon for us because we're going to be in a lot of knockdown, drag out defensive battles this year and being able to get three or put a 50 yarder through could be make or break. I mean, there were times it was make or break last year, for sure. And hopefully we don't have to see him out there too often, but having Ethan Dwayne back for another year is, is he's a solid punter. He's going to get the job done. And I imagine he's going to grow quite a bit from last year to this year as well. But no team is perfect. So we got to talk about any weaknesses you guys think we have and any areas of potential opportunities for the opposition to take advantage of. Uh, what would you highlight, Gary? Yeah, I, I don't know if I would necessarily call it a weakness, but I think it is our area of opportunity that can have the biggest impact on us for the season, and that is wide receiver. You look at our stats from last year, with Koontz, Jennings, Page, and Smart, with those four, they were 71% of our receptions, 75% of our receiving yards, 73% of our receiving touchdowns. The good news, three, or, three of those four guys are coming back. The bad news is that's a lot of work on three guys. And if those are your three guys in the receiving game, you can pl plan for it. You can shut them down. So really 
someone emerging as that true number two receiver on the opposite side of the field from Ollie Jennings is, is critical. I, Jordan Bly's got a great chance to do it. Marquez Bell coming in from Cincinnati has a great chance. But I really think that that number two spot is truly wide open. You'll probably see a lot of people rotating in and out of that position to start the season. But if, if someone can step up and be that true number two to be on the opposite side of the field of Ollie Jennings, it opens up Zach Kuntz, Isaiah Page. It helps in the run game. It, it essentially makes us so difficult to defend that someone of that group is always going to be open. Amarion Granger and Peter Kikwata, the, the two freshmen, I think they can make an impact, especially as the season goes on and they learn the playbook because they're explosive. They're great athletes, get the ball in their hands. You know, I would expect to see them in some capacity in certain packages just to shake it up. But if we can develop a true number two with you know Page in the slot, Kuntz at tight end, Jennings on the other side, I mean, if you're Hayden Wolf, you have to be super excited about that, right? Experience offensive line, all those weapons, you can do whatever you want back there. It's, it's a great spot to be in. So if we don't develop that number two, I think that's a weakness for us. But the opportunity there with as much talent as in that wide receiver group, that would be a, a huge plus for us, especially going up against this really tough schedule. I think we need to figure that out fairly early in the season. Phil still agreed with you and Jordan Bly being that guy that could possibly step up. We saw him make some incredibly difficult catches last year when he had an opportunity. And I, I think that he's got a great chance to, to be that guy. But like you were saying at the, uh, the open practice they had here, not too long ago, Granger looked really nice. It looked like he had a nice, nice chemistry there with, with Hayden. So hopefully over time, like you're saying, you know, he and some of the other young guys would be able to do that. my, my bigger one, I think a number two will step up in wide receiver. I want to know who the number two is going to step up behind Zach. So Zach doesn't, you know, Zach can get some a breather when he needs to, and he's not out there because, you know, the tight end position is blocking in this offense as well. So, you know, it takes a toll and you want him to be fresh in the second half of games in the second half of the season and be able to use, you know, be it, be it a hundred percent going through. So I'd like to see, someone step up right behind him to be able to spell him when, when needed. I would agree with you there on that second tight end. I think there's some great options. And I also think the emergence of a great second pass catching tight end would allow the offense to run double tight more often. Uh, so if you have guys that can block and receive in that double tight with two wide receivers out, it, the defense has no idea if you're running or passing, especially in an RPO. But I mean, Dante Anthony and Isaiah Spencer, two, two pretty good candidates to, to come in right behind Zach Koontz or line up on the other side. So if we're talking about opportunities, I, I got to admit, linebacker is a little bit of a concern for me. And I think there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of talent at that position. But replacing a guy like Jordan Young is a, is a big ask. He did everything for this team last year. But replacing him is going to be we, – we've heard the coaches say it, it's going to be a team – effort. You can't replace him with one guy. That's one of the areas that I'm going to be focused on mostly on Friday is who's the guy that's meeting the ball every play? Because someone's going to do it, but we, we're not quite sure who it'll be yet. I'm, I'm anxious to see Malcolm Britt come back. Him being out there will be a big plus for us, but I mean, Ryan Henry's going to step up and, and do some damage. Henderson, 
we saw him last year as a freshman and talk about a run stopping linebacker. He can get in there and, and wreak some havoc. And then Stevie Williams. I, I think there's going to be a good rotation there. And I think down and distance and scenario may dictate who is on that field. I mean, first and second down, you, you've got Jason Henderson up the middle. You're going to be in pretty good shape on anything running through the A gap. Um, I, I think with that four, two, five, you naturally are a little bit susceptible to outside runs and off tackle. So and that's, I think, where Stevie Williams can come in with his speed to kind of seal that edge. But yeah, a lot of, lot of great talent. I think the mix and match and the situational subbing is going to be critical, especially against those high-tempo offenses. All right. So we've talked about the strengths, the weaknesses. Do you see any areas on the field that ODU can exploit against Virginia Tech? Absolutely. The defensive line. Virginia Tech is not returning a whole lot on their offensive line in terms of experience. They're big, they're talented, that's for sure, but they haven't spent a lot of time together as a cohesive unit. They have all new coaches on their staff. They're running new schemes. I think that if the defensive line can do a good job and run defense and stop the run, that's what Tech's going to do. They're going to pound the ball as much as they can because they've got good, good running backs coming back. They've got some big offensive linemen. If the defensive line can put... Virginia Tech in third and six, third and seven, force them to pass, then our defensive line can pin our ears back, go after the quarterback. And I think we've all seen what happens when Grant Wells has to move around the pocket with a lot of pressure, leads to a lot of turnovers, a lot of bad decisions. But it's getting to that point where they're in third and six plus, third and seven. So they're in third and three, you know, they've got the options to do a lot of things. So I, I think our defensive line being able to exploit Virginia Tech's little bit of inexperience up front in a new system. Getting to those third and longs is a great opportunity for us to really control field position and just the game itself. Yeah, when we talk with Andy Bitter, you know, Andy talked about the offensive line and how the talent was there, but they weren't necessarily very deep. And I think within since the time we've talked with Andy, I think they may have actually had an injury to the offensive line, which makes it even more difficult for them. So everything that Gary said, I think that is going to be the key here is having our defensive strength really try to assert their strength on Virginia Tech. And we know that games are won in the trenches. If we're able to kind of I don't, push around might be the wrong word, but if we're able, if our defensive line is able to assert themselves on Virginia Tech's offensive line, that does a lot mentally to a team and everybody sees that. And if we can kind of make that statement early on, it could be a long game for the Hokies. When we were talking with Phil Steele, he, he wasn't really impressed with their skill position players at all. And if the D-line can make an impact like that on their offensive line, it just makes... Trey Hawkins, Tobias Harris, Artarian Johnson, their job's easier. So I'm really optimistic about what our our secondary can do in this game if the de- defensive line takes advantage of their offensive line. It could be really fun for us on Friday night if that defensive line is wreaking havoc. But on the offensive side of the ball, they have a talented defense that they're returning. Defensive coach, they're going to be pretty stout defensively, I think, given everything that they're bringing back and with prize focus on defense. Is there an area you think we can exploit there? 
Yeah, I mean, I would expect Virginia Tech to pack the box against us and expect a lot of Blake Watson and whoever else is coming out of the backfield. I think our strength on offensive line kind of works the same way that our defensive line works. They, they don't have a lot of experience returning on that defensive line. A lot of new. I, I go back to the Wake Forest game at the start of last year when we came out on defense. Wake Forest moved quickly. They were up tempo. They were on that line snapping the ball. And we just kind of got blown away those first couple of drives. We couldn't make adjustments, couldn't sub. I, I think our the cohesiveness of our offensive line, having Hayden Wolf coming back and having an experienced group there, going up tempo, especially early on, put Virginia Tech on their heels where they're only be able to, to rush their front four. They've got to drop guys in coverage and cover outside gaps to really leveraging our offensive line and the experience there and the, with the experience of the rest of the offense to really blitz them in a way. Come out firing, go up tempo, hit those explosive plays, spread the field so that they just can't concentrate between the hashes is, is something that we can exploit there for sure. But it, it all comes down to that communication on the offensive line, especially in this RPO. You've got to know what's going on behind you without being able to see it. You've got to call those protections. We've got to know who we're leaving unblocked so that Hayden can make the read. And I wouldn't mind seeing Hayden bust outside on a, a little keeper for about 20 yards, too. You saved the best for last there, Gary. I, I think if no one is expecting Hayden to keep the ball after last season, not Old Dominion, Old Dominion fans, not any fans of opposing teams who played us, nobody expects him to keep the ball. So if he does do that once or twice, it changes things a lot. And Hayden is a much better athlete than a lot of people realize. He's 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 fast, he's strong, and if he does that once or twice, once or twice, defensive coaches are going to have to really open their eyes and make some adjustments. I think everything keys off of Zach here until we have a wide receiver step up, Zach making some plays down the middle of the field and really making Virginia Tech kind of maybe not bust as many people down on that running game or early on will help everything open up for old dominion. I mean, us going up tempo. I like that idea a lot. It makes it hard to sub. And we, we remember how many substitution errors we've had with new staffs. It can get messy pretty quick and you can get exploited pretty fast. I'd love to see us go up tempo and see Hayden build that connection he had with Coots and Ali all over again, putting Virginia Tech on their heels in a rough environment because we know Ballard can get loud when people are there. And with the season ticket sales and the ticket sales for this game, it's going to be a sellout easily. Um, it's not going to be a quiet stadium for them to operate in. Communications is going to be tough for them. The more I think about this game, the more I get excited. I don't think they they understand how much talent we have on both sides of the ball coming in. Well, it's the first game that their coaching staff has been together that are going to have to make those adjustments or going to have to communicate on the fly. Everything that they've been practicing together is just in practice. It's not a game that we've heard that said before by a professional athlete, but it'll be interesting to see how Virginia Tech's new coaching staff is able to adjust during the game as things are going even though our coaching staff is a young coaching staff, the most of them been together before a season and they were forced in fire last year. And we saw what happened in the second half of that season. So I would expect, I would expect them to, to kind of pick up 
right where they left off last year. I know Ricky said he doesn't believe in momentum carrying from one season to another, but clearly something clicked last year. And the main players that were making things cook last year are all here. And, you know, Hayden's here, Jennings here, Watson's here, Koontz is here, the defense is here. So I think I think that they're going to pick up right where they left off. I think this has been a much more fun offseason for Old Dominion coaching staff just because they played football last season. There were so many unknowns going into last year. Like, yes, they practiced, they watched film, they installed everything that they could, but there's still that newness of when the ball gets kicked off, who's going to perform and where and how. And they have so, so much of a better idea of who's going to perform on the field now as compared to last year. Then on the other side, Virginia Tech, I think they're only returning 11 starters from last year. All new coordinators. You have an offensive coordinator there that's, I mean, I think he was a co-offensive coordinator for one year at Penn State. Then he was down in Duval with the disaster that was Urban Meyer last season. A lot of potential, you know, everyone on ODU's coaching staff thinks he's fantastic, but it's still that newness. That, that 40-second clock is really fast when it's your first time calling those plays. We saw that a little bit last year with some delay game penalties getting calls in from the sideline late. So ODU not having as much newness is a huge advantage, especially in a home game against a Power 5 school. You know that everyone on ODU sideline is going to be jacked up for this game. So just not having that newness, I think, is a, a massive advantage for ODU. All right, fellas. So we've talked about strengths, weaknesses, opportunities. If you had to pick one player to be a breakout star for this year and this game, who would it be? Gary? Talked about him earlier, but Stevie Williams. I don't know if anyone on the team has more experience than him, has played more positions, understands more about the overall big picture. Him coming in on second and third downs, especially third and long scenarios, being able to read the quarterback, understand what that quarterback is going through, drop back in coverage if needed. He's that X factor on the defense that takes us from having a, a pretty good defense, is what I think we'll have, a really good defense, to just being an elite, you know, top two or three defenses in the Sun Belt, being able to bring him on, have that experience in that position group. If I was betting on someone to, to kind of come out of nowhere and all of a sudden be on draft boards, it would be Stevie Williams. All right, I'm going to cheese out a little here and I go for the more conservative pick. No one's talking about him being at the top of any of the, uh, any of the list in the Sun Belt, but I think Hayden Wolf is the breakout here. I think he's going to have a outstanding season and people are going to look back at the end going, where did this kid come from? I mean, it's, it's going to be his first year where he's established, established himself as the quarterback of this team. I mean, he's a sophomore. He's got lots of legs to go. If he gets good, decent protection from our offensive line, I think he's going to have a phenomenal year. I like both those answers and I'm not going to cheat and just cop out here. So I'm going to go off board here and pick Tobias Harris. Everything I've heard from him out of camp has been amazing. He's coming from D2, which is not a jump that a lot of guys make successfully or even find a team in D1 to jump on. But he's got all the tools. He's a little undersized. But those undersized guys, when they get a chance to shine, they usually take advantage of it. So, And then he's surrounded by a lot of talent. Trey Hawkins on the other side of the ball is going to help him. Terry Johnson behind him is going to help. The defensive line is going to make it harder for the quarterback and the receiver to connect. I, I think everything is in line for Tobias Harris to have a big season at corner. 
if you want to throw in a comeback player of the year nominee, Matt Geiger at running back. I think he's going to get get some important snaps back there and bring a lot of experience to that position group. Talk about a nice X factor to have coming out of the backfield in one way, shape, or another. So keep an eye on Matt Geiger and, and getting that snap count up. Apart from maybe Jeremy Cox, no one in an ODU uniform has ever run the ball harder than Matt Geiger. I love watching that guy play, but he hurts people and he's going to get some bruises just for how hard he runs. Um, I'm excited to see him back in the, in the uniform and on the field. We'd love to have him with some late game carries with the lead. Maybe have some Jeremy Cox bowling over the entire Virginia Tech defense clips again. Yeah, let's do it. So finally, we're going to get to predictions. What are your expectations? You don't have to do a prediction, but you can just say expectation. What are your expectations for the Virginia Tech game and the 2022 season for Old Dominion? A lot of unknowns going into this game for Virginia Tech, but the one thing we're familiar with is Grant Wells. So defensive line, putting Virginia Tech in those third and longs, getting pressure with the front four, make Grant Wells move his feet, move around in the pocket to lead to interceptions. If they can put Virginia Tech in situations where they have to pass and they can provide pressure, ODU is going to win this game. Expect low scoring, knockdown, drag out, run in the trenches with a couple explosive plays mixed in. Whoever makes the most explosive plays is going to win this game. But I, I would not be shocked to see something in like the 24 to 17 range as a final score. I'm thinking very similar to you, Gary, but I think I think Old Dominion wins this game by 10 points. I think it's 27-17. I think we're going to go into the fourth quarter and we're going to have we're just going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. We're going to be up and we're just going to punch it in at the end and assert that offensive line and just really drain the clock and play smart football. The number that keeps jumping out to me is 21-18. I don't know why, but I like that number. Late in-game touchdown for us to, to pull this off and send them home, wondering why they ever decided to agree to play in Norfolk ever, let alone for the next decade. Can't wait to see what happens on Friday night. As for the season, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on this. Phil Steele said, he could see this team winning anywhere between three and nine games just because of the difficulty of the schedule. I tend to, that's on the right path, but I think it's more like five to nine games, maybe 10 games. This team's talented, but it's going to depend on how resilient this team is and if they can avoid injuries. I think Phil Steele is kind of right in that we could win three, we could win nine. I don't think you're wrong to predict either one of those. I mean, it, it's a brutal schedule. If you look at the schedule, there's no game where you're like, all right, we got that one. Like there are teams that maybe haven't been great in the past, but uh, you don't know. Coming in with the Sun Belt, I mean, what does South Alabama look like the last week of the season? What do we look like last week of the season? I think if you really want to take stock on where we're at, where are we at after the Georgia Southern game? Like I looked at kind of the Buffalo game as a litmus test of where we were last year. And it could not have been more representative of our season. First half, just nothing was working right. Couldn't get anything. And then a different old dominion team came out of the locker room in the second half. We felt a little bit short in that one, but that really kind of sparked the, this team is different. So, I mean, if, if we come out of, you know, Georgia Southern there, and I think that's our seventh game, and if we win that game and we're five and two, I think we would all be very happy with that. But I wouldn't necessarily be shocked if that's our third win of the season and we're three and four. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad spot to be in either. I think realistic expectation is 
right around that seven and five mark. And we would probably be the best seven and five team in the country. You know, I will say if we start the season three and oh, beating Virginia Tech, a comeback East Carolina team, and then win at Virginia, I mean, I'm probably going streaking to get the 12 and 0 shirts out. But I think the realistic is seven and five, you know, trying to be two and three, three and two coming in after the Liberty game. I mean, winning record after the Liberty game, I think we're being in, in great shape. But seven and five is, is my guess. Yeah, I'm a seven and five or an eight and four kind of guy. I say we revisit this after this Georgia Southern one, like you said, Gary, and make <laughs> make the second half prediction. But I think it. I think the season depends on how those first four games go. I mean, obviously, Virginia Tech, East Carolina, and Virginia probably going to tell us a lot about our team. And then we have our first Sun Belt game in Arkansas State, and everybody likes to talk bad about Arkansas State. But that team looked better at the end of last year than what people are saying things about. So they keep being talked about it being a bottom feeder, bottom feeder. But I think that team is a little bit better than what people say. So it'll be interesting in our first game there on the 24th of September in the Sun Belt. Well, they have a lot of SEC transfers, but maybe people aren't looking at last year to this year because of how much turnover they have had on their roster. They're kind of an unknown. You don't really know what they are. They have the most freshmen in the country. I, I think the number was over 60. Like, they're very young, and no one is coming back with really any experience for that team. So I, I can't peg them anything as good, bad, anything. I, we don't know. I will tell you, I'm happy we're playing them the fourth game of the season and not the 10th or 11th game of the season, because if they have that many young freshmen, they're going to look a lot different at the end of the year. Um, and just from a how difficult our division is within the Sun Belt, the, the three teams you hear as being projected to win that division of the Sun Belt, you hear Coastal, you hear Georgia State, and you hear Appalachian State. Lucky, luckily for us, we have all three of those teams on the road. So I think really, if you want to think about a tough, tough game on our schedule, aside from the obvious power fives, that game in Boone in November is going to be incredibly difficult. Because App State, they've got UNC at home. Then they're going to go out and play at Texas A&M. They're not going to be afraid of anybody who's rolling into Boone after that kind of schedule. But what shape will they be in at that point? I mean, you play that many power fives and – roll into a tough sunbelt, you could be missing a lot of pieces. But I think if that's a game that Old Dominion is winning, I think we are feeling really good about how the season has gone to go win a tough, tough road game like that. Yeah, that's going to be a tough one. They are replacing a lot, but by the time November rolls around, those guys will be, if they're healthy, they'll be ready to roll. Chase Price is pretty good, too. He really came on last year after transferring in. Georgia State is the team that I keep looking at. That They should be the favorite because they're returning everybody, and they have two of the best backs in the league. And I, I don't know. I just – I like them a lot. Maybe it's their lack of fans that they aren't getting the hype that they should be, but I think they're going to surprise a lot of people this year. Yeah, I don't think I would be surprised by any team winning that division of the Sun Belt. I think it is stacked top to bottom, and I'm, I'm happy that ODU is now in that division because it's going to be that knockdown drag out, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to make us better as a program as we go forward. 
I'm excited that we'll be able to watch the games on some sort of ESPN platform and instead of whatever we were trying to do to track down the UTEP-UNT game last night. I don't know where that was actually broadcast. Gas Station TV, just a shout out there. All right, fellas. Well, I, I think that's a good place to end it with the Conference USA joke. So thank you for joining us tonight. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. And go Monarchs. Thank you, guys.